Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to our episode today. Our topic of focus is the glutes, which we thought would just be an interesting topic to set aside uh, an episode to actually focus on, because it seems like, at least at least in our experience, it seems like the topic of the glutes is kind of like everywhere you turn in the yoga world, in the fitness and movement world, and, and in the therapeutic worlds as well. It seems like everywhere you turn, you tend to hear about the glutes. Like, like it's kind of a trendy, it seems like maybe a somewhat of a trendy buzz term these days. But for example, we tend to hear that just in general, having strong glutes is important. We tend to hear that it's important to strengthen the glutes in order to to treat pain, like if someone has back pain or knee pain or hip pain or SI joint pain, like all these pains, it's often claimed that strengthening the glutes is important to treat that pain. It's also often claimed that strengthening the glutes is important to prevent injuries and and to prevent pain in general. What else about the glutes? Uh, Also, oh, it's also claimed that it's important to strengthen the glutes in order to, quote, correct posture like to correct bad posture, often glute strengthening is prescribed to like change posture into a more quote optimal posture. Uh, other, other, um, other terms that we tend to hear about or statements that we tend to hear are that it's important to activate the glutes like before we work out, like do some sort of, of exercise or even yoga, like this idea that we need to activate our glutes before that so that they work better for us uh, during the activity. Uh, there also, you may have tuned into this, but there all, there's also kind of like, a, it's like a societal trend, I would I would suggest that, that having well-developed glutes, like aesthetically, is kind of this aesthetically, an aesthetic ideal that many people aspire to. So targeting the area of the glutes to, to change how they look, um, that's also another way that the glutes kind of tend to be pulled out and focused on. We also tend to hear claims about uh, people having a sleep glutes or something sometimes called gluteal amnesia. And that's often talked about as being because people sit all day and then that like turns off or shuts off their glutes. So they're just, as you can see, that's just a, that's a long list. Oh, and there's one more that I wanted to mention, which was just that specifically in yoga, when it comes to back bends, um, and especially it's really all back bends, but I feel like bridge pose and wheel pose, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more in a moment, but specifically with those, there are these ideas, strong ideas about what the glutes should be doing or shouldn't be doing in backbends. So it's kind of a long list of ways that that I tend to see the glutes pulled out and focused on in general in like the yoga movement, fitness, therapeutic worlds. Travis, do you have anything to add to that or do you agree with that list? That's a strong list. (laughs) 
I think there are a lot of misconceptions out there and they're ripe for the debunking. Totally. I'm yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you agree. Yeah, so we thought we could take some time today to just take a little closer look at some, maybe all of those claims, but just like kind of a good look at what science might suggest about some of these things we tend to hear about the glutes. One other thing I wanted to throw out there, if you kind of consider that long list uh that I that I laid out, is that at least in my experience, it seems like the main emphasis on the glutes is that everybody's glutes are either uh, underactive or weak, and they therefore need to be strengthened or something needs to be done to kind of rev them up again. It's not so much that we tend to hear about the glutes that that they're too, that they need to be relaxed or um, they're too tight or something like that. Although it is true that there are, uh, in the yoga world at least, sometimes there are myofascial uh, release, quote, release techniques with balls. And sometimes there are some like actual glute targeted ball releases. So it's not that the glutes are never brought up as something that need to be, quote, released or relaxed or that side of things. But on the whole, it seems like it's more about they need to be charged up. Would you agree, Travis? Yeah, I think that's true. There are certainly stretches that you do even on a yoga mat like a supine figure four Mm -hmm. where you're definitely stretching the glutes but i don't know that people are going out of their way to highlight the need for stretching the glutes or releasing the glutes so much as strengthening the glutes being the primary focus I think that's at least when it comes to the verbiage or how it's discussed, because you're so right that a reclined figure four or like a reclined pigeon pose is fully a glute stretch. Yet I don't, I don't know if I've ever really heard in a yoga context, at least a a yoga teacher say, we're stretching our glutes in this pose. The verbiage that tends to be used in my experience is that it's a hip opener, a quote hip opener. Which then, uh, obviously, that does mean that like the, glute, the glutes cross the hip and they're being stretched, but it just doesn't seem like the focus is made so much on the hip. I mean, um, on the glutes. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. Right. Because, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just think there's these weird ideas in this area of the body. They get wrapped up in, in how we talk about the body. We talk about the glutes when, they need, when we think they need to be strengthened or something. But when it's coming to stretching or massaging them, it's maybe a little less about the glutes and just more that it's a hip opener or something. I don't know. Yeah, which is further silly because the glutes extend to the hip, but so do the hamstrings. Yeah. People don't talk about hamstring strengthening too much in yoga, right? And there aren't that many opportunities in a traditional mat practice to strengthen the hamstrings. So why aren't we talking about strengthening the hamstrings the way that we're talking about strengthening the glutes? (laughs) That's a really good point. Yeah, we we hardly ever strengthen the hamstrings in any sort of meaningful way in a yoga practice. Another muscle that also happens to extend the hips that we I feel like we rarely hear discussed is um, adductor magnus. We're just I'm getting a little anatomy geeky now, but you know we have five adductor muscles and one of them crosses the back of the hip and that's adductor magnus and it um it also works as a hip extensor and is a a primary muscle that's targeted in things like like squats for example we tend to hear squats discussed as being about strengthening the glutes or or one of the main things they do is they strengthen the glutes but they also really target adductor magnus nobody's talking about adductor magnus yeah no (laughs) i think um yeah, I feel like I hear the hamstrings talked about more than adductor magnus. Like that seems to be even lower on the list, yet it's involved in a lot of, well, yeah, many of the hip extension activities we do. 
You mentioned hip extension. You brought that up. And uh, we did want to make sure we kind of laid out a bit of like the anatomy of the glutes and what we're even talking about in this conversation as far as this area of the body. So maybe, Travis, could you explain like what hip extension is? And maybe we could talk just a bit about glutes anatomy. Yeah. So the glutes are actually three different muscles. Uh, mm-hmm. There's the gluteus maximus, which is probably the one that people think of the most when they're, when they say glutes. Uh, and then there's the gluteus minimus and the gluteus medius. So the nice. glute max is the primary hip extender. And so hip extension is when you go from sitting to standing. So your hips mm-hmm. go from a flexed position to an extended position. Mm-hmm. And then the minimus and medius are hip abductors primarily and so they take the leg, you know, if you were standing and you lifted the leg out to the side, then, mm-hmm. or if, maybe if you were lying on your side and you're doing a, a Jane Fonda leg lift up into mm-hmm. the air, mm-hmm. uh, that's hip abduction. And so those muscles are responsible for that. They're also really important because when we walk, we have to mm-hmm. isometrically abduct our hip so that our hip doesn't drop. And mm-hmm. so those muscles, they're small, but important. Uh, if there are, if we have weakness there or, or pain or injury, then that affects our gait. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the, those, those small muscles do play an important role and, and maybe not as widely thought of or discussed when it comes to, oh, the glutes are primarily the glute, like people think about the glute max and maybe don't think about minimus and medius. And they, all three of them, I think, also externally rotate the hip, at least to some degree, or in I different positions. So. It's kind mm-hmm. of confusing because depending on what angle of hip flexion you're in, mm-hmm. uh, like different muscles can turn into internal and external rotators. So I, don't, I try not to get too caught up in that minutia, but you probably, <laughs> you got it. Oh, what is it like obturator, something or other? Obturator, like inter- turn, turns into... Turns into oh. an internal rotator, external rotator, and deep hip flexion. If we want to get really anatomy geeky, I've learned that is the piriformis muscle does okay. does that. I buy it. Is it worth bringing up like the the different attachment points? Yeah, I think so. Maybe in a general way. Yeah, take it away. Okay, I'll I'll do my best. So you described, uh, I think, really well, like just the basic um, actions and function of gluteus maximus, medius, and minimus. And just to kind of clarify a little more for our listeners, gluteus maximus is more on the posterior, more on the backside, and it Mm. kind of wraps around a little bit laterally, but it's it's like your, your behind, basically, is gluteus maximus. But then when we're talking about gluteus medius and minimus, those are those are much more lateral. They're like really just straight out on the sides of your hips. They're they're also like more superior than one might think. Mm-hmm. Like when you think, mm-hmm. oh, it's on the side, I just kind of envision it on the side, but it's actually kind of high up on the side. Oh kind of, if you look yeah. if you look yeah, at yeah, yeah. pictures of bodybuilders, like male bodybuilders with really well-developed glutes and really low percent body fat, you can see like this fan-shaped muscle that's the glute max. And then you can see the minimus or medius, whatever one's Mm -hmm. more superficial. Medius is more superficial. Yeah, medius is more superficial. Yeah. Yeah. And then minimus, you probably can't see underneath medius. But anyway, when you you see where that is, you're like, that's not where I would expect that muscle to be. (laughs) 
I know what you mean. And I think maybe that's partly because our pelvis, like the pelvic bowl, like the actual kind of top of the pelvis, which is called the iliac crest, you know, that top crest of your ilium where you could kind of dig your hands in, like where you might put um, like a, a child, if you were carrying your child quote on your hip or something, kind of hook it in there on the iliac crest. That's actually, I think, a lot higher than we often realize. But if you actually just palpate in there in your own body, you might sense it's it's up there. Because the gluteus medius, that the lateral um, glute muscle, it attaches up there. Like Actually, I think uh, both medius and maximus and minimus, they all attach up on the iliac crest, which is pretty high. And then gluteus maximus, uh, like we said, it's more posterior. It also attaches to your sacrum and your tailbone or your coccyx. And then it also attaches to uh, the femur, that's your thigh bone, at a place called the gluteal tuberosity, gluteal tuberosity. And then it also attaches to the IT band, which is probably a structure many of our listeners have heard, to, heard about before, the iliotibial band, which is this thick band of fascia or connective tissue that runs along the outer thigh all the way down and crosses the knee. Which is crazy because of... <laughs> When you think about where the glutes start on the iliac crest mm -hmm. to go all the way into the IT band to then insert mm -hmm. on the tibia, like yeah. that goes a long way. That's so true. So like the line of pull or the, the um, effect of the force generation of the gluteus maximus can really affect all the way down the leg past the knee to the tibia. So it, yeah, it's like a broad, a broad reach that that muscle has really, especially when you think about the IT band. And then, um, so that's glute max and then gluteus medius and minimus They're Like I said, they're on the sides. They don't attach to the IT band, but they're more the basically just the side of the pelvis. So the iliac crest down to uh, this, this prominence on your thigh bone called the greater trochanter. And some of our listeners may be familiar with the greater trochanter and, and some maybe not, but it's just kind of that bony prominence you can kind of bang into with your hands on either side, kind of like the upper outer thigh, basically. When you, um, let's see if I can describe this. So if you put your heel kind of in front of you, you're standing and mm -hmm. you lift your toes up and you wiggle your uh, toes oh. in and out. Yeah. If you put your finger on the oh, side of your hip, really you can feel the greater tuberosity, uh, like that prominence. The greater trochanter. Sorry, greater trochanter. Oh, I see what you're saying because you're rotating the thigh and you can feel that bony mm -hmm. prominence moving. Oh, that's a good point. I'm going to try that really quickly right now. Um, that's a really good teaching tool for teaching that. Yeah, yeah. We, when we were in grad school doing gait biomechanics, we would have to put markers on, you oh, yes. know, different uh, bony prominences to, for the cameras to pick it up. And so you have to make sure that you're placing those markers repeatedly. And so that's how you have the person do that motion and then you can feel Oh, that's so cool Where to know so that you, you make sure you place the marker on the right spot in, in everybody's body, like across, mm -hmm, across bodies. Mm -hmm. So you can do it the same if you brought the person in again, or your uh, colleague could place it the same mm -hmm. way on the same person. That makes sense. So there's like consistency across what's being measured between bodies mm -hmm. and between mm -hmm. people who are actually placing those markers. Yep. Very cool. So that 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 prominence, the greater trochanter, that's where gluteus medius and minimus attach um, the bottoms of those muscles. And yeah, so that's kind of what the what's up with the glutes. They're basically the back of the hips, and then they wrap around and they're on the side of the hips. And they're three different muscles. And collectively, 
we tend to just throw out this term glutes <laughs> to kind of refer to all of it, but it can be really helpful to break down the individual structures and just understand them like where they are and what they each do because they are unique. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Which and they typically get autocorrected to flutes, which is very <laughs> very confusing when you're texting with people about the glutes. You're so yeah, it's so true. Like when you're typing on your phone or whatever. Yeah, why won't why won't iPhone learn? <laughs> that is so true. I've experienced that so many times. Which also just shows how much we tend to write glutes because glutes is just like this this term that's used often out there. Much we write about glutes and talk about glutes, like you said, much more than adductor magnus for example but yeah so the flutes so anyway now that we've kind of laid out uh, a picture of kind of where the glutes are what they do their anatomy uh, one of the first things we wanted to talk about in this conversation was kind of specific to yoga and it's that topic that i mentioned earlier which was the glutes in back bends because i find that this is kind of a hotly contested topic in the yoga world and um travis i know like you told you're a total yogi, but you come from like um, fitness and strength and conditioning background. And so what did you think when you first learned about like these controversies around yoga backbends and whether or not the glutes should be active? So you told me that mm-hmm. there some people say that you should relax the glutes in a backbend. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was preposterous. <laughs> Because you're trying to go into hip extension, like right, a pretty terminal hip extension if you're getting into like wheel pose or bow mm-hmm. pose mm-hmm. or any of those things. And how could you get into that position if your glutes are not fire, you know, if you're purposely trying to relax the glutes? So it just, that doesn't make any sense to me. But then you you mentioned to me that there are other people who say, Oh, you need to really focus on a strong glute contraction in a backbend. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, how can both of to... these extremes <laughs> exist? If some exactly. people on the one are saying, oh, you need to relax the glutes. And others are saying, oh, you need to violently contract the glutes. And, right. and my background upbringing was, oh, for exercises that are, we're engaging the glutes in a high load scenario. So there's an exercise like a loaded glute bridge with weight across your hips or mm-hmm. another exercise where your shoulders are elevated and you're doing a glute bridge, which we call a hip thrust. A hip thrust, right. You might even have a barbell with heavy load heavy on it. Heavy weights, like, yeah. Yeah, you absolutely need to be thinking about contracting your glutes powerfully uh, to elicit the you know proper positioning and, and direct the, the stimulus where you want it to go. So I, I lean more towards that from a heavy lifting standpoint. Uh, same thing, maybe even with a, a deadlift, where mm-hmm. at, when you so deadlift, where you're picking the bar up off the floor, 
you probably want to be engaging your glutes at the lockout position. So when you're standing up at the top mm -hmm. to kind of finish the movement and achieve full hip extension, there, there, there are certainly scenarios where you, I think you need to engage the glutes like consciously. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about a yoga pose where the loads are, you, you don't have weight, mm -hmm. external load involved. Weight. Yeah. I, I, I guess I would say I would lean more towards not volitionally relaxing them. So if you were going to do anything, mm -hmm. maybe contract them. But at the same time, these are body weight movements and maybe you don't have to think about doing anything in particular with your glutes at all. <laughs> I love that. Maybe and they'll just do what they're going to do and that'll be fine. Maybe your body can self-organize in our yoga poses. and Yeah. And it's, it's different, you know, if somebody, something funky's happening when they're going into a backbend and, and they need to be cued a certain way, that's one thing. But to blanket say, mm -hmm. oh, everyone should relax their glutes and wheel. Everyone should tense their glutes in bow. Like it's, it's hard to make those one size fits all cues. A hundred percent. Especially in this context. Yeah. Right. In a context of yoga where just to be clear, like in a yoga practice, we, um, we're not strength training. We're not targeting any specific area of the body. It's also not so much about something called hypertrophy training, which would be like training to actually grow, um, a muscle. Like we talked about earlier, the aesthetic goals of having well-developed glutes and how that tends to be like an emphasis in our culture these days. In a yoga context, we don't tend to have that type of emphasis woven in. Like most yoga classes are not trying to get people to intentionally build bigger booties or whatever. Like it, that's just not really. I think it's interesting because in the course of um, teaching yoga asana uh, over the past, I don't know, like couple decades, I feel like I have seen this trend where Everybody was teaching that it was really important to relax the glutes in yoga in like bridge and wheel and bow and all of those. And the idea was that the reason we were supposed to relax the glutes in these backbends was that contracting the glutes was bad. One very common um, claim that I tended to hear was that it could jam the SI joints, the sacroiliac joints. That, that was what you told me. You were like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. people say not to contract the glutes because it jams the SI joint. I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? <laughs> like, that's, I think that's the first thing you said to me when I told you that. These, these terms just thrown around, around for actions and effects in the body when they don't even really have a debt. What does jam mean when you're talking about like a joint? What is that? The SI joint is is like the most, it, it's one of the most, if not the most stable joints in the human body. And it takes super high forces, like traumatically high forces, like a car accident or something to actually like dislodge or cause injury actually to the SI joint. And when you contrast thinking of something like that to thinking of something of lying on your back and lifting your hips up in bridge pose, like the forces involved in those two are just so extremely different. Um, plus what does jam the SI joint even mean? But that's that super widespread claim in my experience, as far as why it was important to relax the glutes. Another claim would, would kind of be to throw the low back in there that like, if, um, if you contracted the glutes and backbends, that would, I, I think jam was, was the term using it, but jam your low back or crunch is another term I've heard crunch the low back, just all these kind of, um, scary words, you know? Yeah. And it's so I guess the the one 
think about the anatomy or the functional anatomy. When you engage the glutes, you do posterior posteriorly tilt the pelvis. Mm -hmm. And in a back bend, I suppose you would rather have an anterior tilted pelvis to in, to achieve full lumbar extension because mm-hmm. those two kind of go hand in hand. So I could see how if you're violently posteriorly tilting the pelvis, that would work against you in, in achieving full lumbar, you know, full spinal extension mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're tilting the pelvis back. That is going to put, that would reverse the lumbar curvature. So that, that would tend to flex the lumb. If you mm-hmm. posteriorly tilt the pelvis, that would flex the lumbar spine. So I sort of can understand why you wouldn't necessarily want a, a really strong glute contraction volitionally, but to then say, oh, you have to totally relax your glutes. Like that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Your hips are, your hips need to be an extension. And that's what the if glutes your glutes do, are relaxed, right? yeah. What what's gonna? Okay, so you're telling me I need to relax my glutes, so I'm gonna extend my hips with my hamstrings, like which you could do. I mean, that could be, I guess. But again, yeah, the, the muscles work together. Exactly to to just they synergy synergistically work to coordinate hip extension, and we don't necessarily need to pull out like certain muscles as being the ones to use. Like our nervous system is pretty sophisticated and smart, and it kind of knows which which um, muscle fibers to fire in order to accomplish a task. And it just it, it just seems yet like yet one more example of the many ways that we like to micromanage and kind of nitpick all these little details of yoga poses when that just might not be necessary and maybe it's leading us down a less productive path. But I did just want to throw out, so so kind of painting um, that longstanding trend in the yoga world of, of emphasizing the importance of relaxing the glutes and backbends. I feel like these days with a little more of like um, movement science knowledge making its way into the yoga world, I think more and more people are tuning into the fact that that's a little silly, like this idea that we need to relax. Like it's, it's like you need, the glutes are on because you're in hip extension, right? Like, why are we telling people to go out of their way to relax them? But as a counter to that kind of in response, I feel like I've sensed more of a trend toward this emphasis that now everyone should be super actively engaging their glutes in the backbends, which you mentioned earlier, Travis, as well. And um, and like you said, it's just, is that just kind of a nut taking it to another extreme? Like, do we really need to go out of our way to relax them or to actively contract them? Could we instead just kind of relax a little bit? I mean, relax like in a more just like as far as micromanaging, just maybe not overthink it so much and just let our body embody the pose. So so then I guess the question is, well, what do we tell them instead? Right. Well, we can just talk about something else, maybe. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we don't need to cue all these all these specifics about overriding what people's nervous systems naturally do. And of course, in the case of if someone has, if an individual might experience discomfort or pain in their backbend or in any asana, then it's different. And that's a very individual example, Mm -hmm. but then you might, you know, make some changes, just change the shift, the alignment or something like that. Even then that may or may not be so much about muscles. So your options are either don't say anything at all Mm -hmm. and let people self-organize or or could you think of an example of a cue that you might give just might not be related to that at all but where where you once might have said something about the glutes now what would you say that's a great that's a great question just a quick moment to interject and thank you for listening to this episode of the yoga meets movement science podcast 
As you can probably tell from this conversation, Travis and I value taking an evidence-based approach to the body and to movement, which means that we incorporate insights from scientific research into our practice and teachings. We channel our understanding of movement science into our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our program empowers yogis in both their yoga practice and their whole life in general. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program. You can learn more and sign up on my website, jennyrollings.com, and the link to that is in the show notes. And now back to our episode. All right. Could you think of an example of a cue that you might give? Just might not be related to that at all, but where at, where you once might have said something about the glutes now, yeah. what would you say? That's instead? a great, I, that's a great question. Putting you on um, the spot. <laughs> I think something that pops into my mind is if it's bridge pose, for example, maybe instead of teaching like squeeze your glutes and lift your hips up, or instead of teaching keep your glutes relaxed and lift your hips up. Like I just, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't do either of those. Maybe something like push your feet into the floor and That's notice what I was how too. you were too. Yeah. 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 And notice, um, notice how that just naturally lifts your hips up and then just kind of let it be. Maybe you could, it may, it, maybe instead of all of these super instructional cues, we can shift to more inquisitive cues. Like, what do you feel engaging? What happens if you, what happens if you're up in bridge and you drag your feet back towards you? Like, what do you feel shifting as far as what's engaging? What if you push your feet forward? This is all isometric. The feet don't actually move. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you feel uh, what's working? How does that shift when you, when you make these changes? That's fun. What if you push one foot forward and pull one foot back at the same time? Like, does That's that crazy. trip everything up? <laughs> and it's all the same. <laughs> like you take a picture and put that in a yoga book. It's still bridge pose, but it's just all these shifts to how you're embodying it. And maybe it can be more of an exploration or a learning experience for people. So you don't think that if you pushed one foot forward and pulled <laughs> one back that it might jam the SI joint? <laughs> Actually, I think that's super dangerous. And yeah, maybe that could jam the SI joint. We need to tell everybody about that. Teachers need to start teaching in bridge pose, like lift up to bridge and don't push one foot forward and pull one foot back. Yeah. Make sure you don't do that. Here's what not to do. Exactly. That's, yeah, seems silly, but it's kind of like what we're doing when we're telling people what to do with their glutes. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's clearly a silly example, but that's exactly what happens, Mm -hmm, you know? mm Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And, and um, just to be clear, and then I think we can move on from this, this good topic, but it's of course different when, um, you know, if it's like in a strength and conditioning context where you're lifting heavy weights and you're really intentionally trying to target a certain area, or maybe oh, you yeah. really are trying to quote, grow your glutes for like a bigger, bigger booty or whatever, then you really may be wanting to uh, intentionally make sure you're squeezing those muscles. But Mm -hmm. in my mind, that's kind of a different context than a yoga asana class, right? Totally. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Although even in that, so in the case of the trying to connect the mind to the muscle to preferentially activate the glutes, yes, Mm-hmm. do do think about that contraction but if you're trying to if your emphasis is more on strengthening than on muscle growth right. like if you're yeah. trying to do a one rep max deadlift you actually shouldn't think about squeezing your glutes you Such should think about point. pushing your feet into the floor or 
pushing the floor away would be like another external way uh kind of focusing but yeah so even within the strength training context depending on whether you have more of a performance strength goal versus a hypertrophy muscle stimulus goal yeah that that can you can still maybe oh maybe i don't want to think about activating the glutes Mm -hmm. when, when my goals are more strength or performance it's yeah it's more like i'm training a movement pattern yeah you want the movement to occur more automatically as opposed to again that micromanaging of right. which muscles doing what and when it's so true i love how you brought this so it's definitely nuanced and um yeah and i think that that speaks to there's like a whole other topic and maybe we can do another podcast episode on more strengths like the difference between strength and hypertrophy and like what that means and how you might think about that and incorporate that differently but yeah, you have a nice article on your website about those types I of do. cues. Oh yeah, the, that, that we wrote together. Ext- yeah, external cues for like the the sun salutation. I think is an example. Here's a here's a bunch of cues. Yes, so external versus internal cues, right? Is what you're mm-hmm. bringing up, and like with that mm-hmm. deadlift example, if you cue like squeeze the glutes, that's an internal cue. But if you cue push the floor away, that's an external cue. Both can be valid, but it just depends on on your goal in the moment. Like, what are you trying to achieve in the? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, same thing with with a yoga asana, right? You could yeah, there might be sure. reasons why you would want to use internal and external, mm-hmm. and it's all in the blog post. So check it out. It's all in the blog post, which we will link in the show Linked notes. The show I think notes. it's called "What's the Best Way to Cue Yoga Poses" or some cue movement in yoga. It's something like that, and it mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, totally plays into this. Thanks for bringing that up. The, we have the most awesome graphic in that blog post that you created, Travis, which is yeah. a sun salutation broken down through all the stages and how you can cue, like one cue example for all of the movements. And we have external and internal cue examples. It's so cool. We just like made that and put it put it out there, free education. Anyway, so do you think, I think that that kind of should, wraps up our talk about the glutes and backbends. Of course, there's more we can say, but we have other stuff to move on to, right? In this conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're still talking about the glutes, but maybe now instead of backbends and yoga asana, what about glutes uh, and their relationship to pain? Ooh. Do you think <laughs> that that might be a good topic? It's a spicy one. Yeah, right, right. I know you know a lot about this too, being a, a rehabilitation scientist and studying, which is like the rehabilitation sciences is kind of, would, am I uh, correct in saying it's like the science of physical therapy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. physical therapy is like this therapeutic field that treats people in pain. Mm-hmm. So it seems like really relevant here, but this is up my alley. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you find the glutes discussed uh, often in terms of treating pain? Yeah, I would say that there's a, a big emphasis on strengthening the glutes and targeting the glutes in a variety of musculoskeletal pain and injury conditions. Like mm-hmm. if you have knee pain and back pain and hip mm-hmm. pain, uh, I would even go so far as to say that the glutes might be considered a magic muscle by some. A magic we've, muscle. We've re- brought that up before in the context of the psoas. Mm-hmm, a big magic which is muscle. Funny because the psoas and the hips do opposite joint actions. The psoas and the glutes do. Sorry, Sorry the psoas and the glutes. Yeah, yes. yeah. The psoas and the glutes do opposite things. So how could they both be magical? 
can't Granted, there only be one magic our, muscle? There can only be one magic muscle, and it's the piriformis. No. <laughs> Actually, the piriformis isn't – when I teach about magic muscles, that's one I include as one that's called, that's often pulled out and made more special than it probably is, piriformis. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah. So you think the glutes are a magic muscle, and even in the field of something like physical therapy? Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of emphasis on exercising the glutes in a variety of conditions. And I don't think that it's wrong. I think that mm-hmm. it can be helpful. Right, right, right. I think that the mechanism or the underlying, what like what's actually going on, mm-hmm. it might not be as cut and dry as maybe we think. So for example, let's say that you have knee pain and... Mm-hmm. You you are undergoing a course of physical therapy and they say, okay, we're going to strengthen the glutes in hip extension and hip abduction. And that's going to fix your knee tracking and because your <laughs> knee is going into valgus or a knock knee position when you jump, run, mm-hmm. whatever. So we're going to strengthen these muscles and that's going to cure your pain. And maybe you do strengthen those muscles or, or you exercise those muscles and it helps with your pain. It's not necessarily the case that the reason that the pain mm-hmm. resolved or subsided is because you strengthened the glutes. Because for one thing, you were probably strengthening a lot of other muscles in right. conjunction. You're not just going to do a glute program to work mm-hmm. on your knee pain. You're going to do lots of other exercises too. But also, oftentimes, the pain can get better without actually changing anything about the way that the person's moving. Mm -hmm. So, or, or even changing the person's strength. Yeah, totally, totally. There's a, I'll have to uh, figure out what paper this was, but there was a systematic review from a few years ago that looked at hip strengthening for knee pain. And they found actually maybe the better term for this, if you refer back to our episode with Adam Meekins, where we talked about the difference between resistance and strength exercises. So briefly, strength exercises would be exercises that actually strengthen and resistance exercises would be kind of lighter load exercises that are working those muscles, but maybe not having a true strengthening effect from the standpoint of improving force production. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that these two things get lumped together often. So in that paper, maybe they referred to it as strengthening. But the what the paper concluded was that you can do exercises to strengthen the hips, including the glutes, and you might not actually get right. any strength gains, yet the person, the people still tend to get better in both their pain decreases and their function increases. Right. And so that leads us to wonder, well, why is this working? And maybe it's working for other reasons, like the person is just like movement in general is good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe their their confidence is improving. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe... Confidence in their body. Yeah. Maybe... I don't know what else, what else could be going on. So many, th- um, it could, uh, movement and exercise in general can like, um, decrease inflammation, like chronic low grade inflammation in the body. And that can be like the systemic process that can just sensitize people to feel pain. Uh, like if, when people have low grade inflammation that can make them more sensitive to feeling pain and experiencing pain. So exercise can have a decreased effect on inflammation. And we also know from our, our last podcast episode, we talked about stress 
you know, markers of stress and how mm, exercise right. can play a role in just decreasing stress levels. And that can also potentially help with pain. The more stressed you are, again, your system just may be a little more sensitive and you may therefore feel more pain. So more of these general bigger picture ways that just movement in general might be helpful. Yeah. Exercise just being an analgesic. So not only the inflammation itself, like, oh, maybe there is an effect on the inflammation, but also just your pain sensitivity decreases. And then also like having more sense of control over your mm -hmm. pain by, oh, if I do these exercises, my knee doesn't hurt as much. Totally. Like, a, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it just seems like uh, it's it's easy to want to give these just really simple explanations. Like you have knee pain because your glutes are weak. Like, it's just like you have this because of that. And in order to fix mm -hmm. the knee pain, you need to strengthen your glutes. So there's, so the, the, maybe we should have started with this. Oftentimes people will say, like you said, oh, you have knee pain because your glutes are weak. You have back pain because your glutes are weak. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you, or, or you have back pain because you have an anterior pelvic tilt, uh, which means I'm that your glutes are weak. Up. And so right. oh, the problem with that is that nobody ever bothers to actually strength test the glutes. Right. It's just right. assumed that the person's glutes are weak. And it's not to say that they're not like, maybe they, maybe the people's glutes are weak. Um, but if you don't actually test that, then you're just guessing that the person's glutes are weak. A hundred percent. Can we take a little step back since you brought up anterior pelvic tilt? Because I'm, I think some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with what that means and um, mm -hmm. how that's discussed, like especially in a yoga and a movement context. But, yeah. you know, we have our pelvis, which we were talking about, and the glutes are on the back and the side of the pelvis. And our pelvis can tilt forward and backwards. And that's an anterior tilt is forward and a posterior tilt is backwards. And there are these ideas out there that are honestly pretty outdated now, but they're still super widespread. There's these ideas that like our pelvis needs to be in quote unquote neutral positioning in order for us to have like optimal alignment and to live in pain-free bodies and avoid injury and just all this stuff. Like you need to have a neutral pelvis. So therefore not one that's too forward tilted and not one that's too backward tilted, but it needs to be just right at neutral. And, um, and yeah, if you picture your pelvis as like being filled with water, because it's kind of the pelvic bowl picture that it has water in it. And anterior pelvic tilt is if you, if the water were spilling forward. So your pelvis tilted in a way that you'd spill the water forward. And a posterior pelvic tilt is if you tilted your pelvis back and the water might spill back. So these ideas are out there that like you need to set your pelvis in neutral so that that water just doesn't spill forward or back. And that's where you're in optimal alignment and where you'll avoid pain. So we, t I, I tend to see this brought into yoga so often and in so many, um, so many classes out there where it's just taught that people, you know, really need to find that neutral pelvis. And there's this, this belief out there that if people's pelvises in their natural resting posture are tilted too far forward, and that's called an anterior pelvic tilt. And that term is so widespread out there that it's even abbreviated APT. You may hear that too, if you have an APT. But if your pelvis is tilted too far forward, the idea is that's creating, that will create back pain and all sorts of other pains. And it also, the idea is that your glutes are weak if you have anterior pelvic tilt because they're in a slightly stretched position if your pelvis is tilted forward a little bit. And there's these mistaken ideas that like, just because a muscle's a little stretched, it's therefore going to weaken. Like that's not really how strength works anyway. But 
So yeah, so we tend to hear that in order to quote correct anterior pelvic tilt, we need to do lots of glute strengthening so that we like reset so that the glutes, the weak glutes strengthen up and they therefore pull the pelvis back from the forward tilt into neutral. Um, and, and paired along with that is these ideas that your hip flexors on the front side, so they cross the front of the hip, that the idea that those are tight and that they're tight and they're pulling the pelvis into that anterior tilt. So that the solution to APT is strengthen the glutes and stretch the hip flexors. Would you say that I'm summarized, summarizing that correctly, Travis? Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. It's also called, you may hear this called lower crossed syndrome. That's another term mm-hmm. for the anterior pelvic tilt. It's just this, this belief that it's a widespread problem that everybody has like tight hip flexors and weak glutes. And it's because, you know, we sit all the time in our society or whatever, and that that's non-optimal. And, and so, so brought into a lot of yoga classes these days, I tend to see an emphasis on the importance of strengthening the glutes in order to like correct posture, like to change pelvic tilt and get it back to that optimal neutral. And um, I personally actually, I have an issue with that for many reasons. The first of which being it's just not evidence-based. Like that's not how the body and pain and strength works. Like we know that definitively by now. But second of all, aside from the fact that that approach isn't even evidence-based, I really strongly believe that unless a yoga teacher is also a medical professional, if we're just, if we're just yoga teachers, it's not within our scope to be uh, diagnosing and pathologizing people and their body postures and pain. Like it's just yoga is about teaching yoga. It's not about telling people that like their bodies are dysfunctional and that the way that they're using and moving their bodies is leading to pain. Um, it's not a yoga teacher's role and they're not qualified to do that. And uh, I just don't think we need to talk about that stuff in yoga. I think we could just like remove that and leave it to professionals who are actually trained and licensed and qualified to help people um, with things like painful issues. What do you think about that, Travis? Mic drop. <laughs> Nailed it. Things are saying that. So, so apart from the fact that that's all nonsense anyway, we shouldn't <laughs> even be talking about that in a personal training or yoga context personal training it, as like well. a fitness context yeah That's this right. is uh if if that even were something that were, was worth worrying about that would be a a medical scenario thanks for physical saying that. therapist would yeah. be the best person to address yeah. now so if you're a physical therapist and a yoga teacher that's now you could theoretically start getting into that theoretically but, but... It's a bunch of hogwash anyway. So. Exactly. So if you're a physical therapist and a yoga teacher and you're teaching your group classes that they have anterior pelvic tilt and their glute, therefore their glutes are weak and they have back pain, that's not, a, that's even though you're a physical therapist, that's not an evidence-based approach. Right. So the, maybe the idea. one, the one wrinkle there is that when people, like if you measure a large number of people on average, people will have a slightly anteriorly tilted pelvis maybe you mentioned that already but i didn't we're talking it, but i like, wanted us to mention uh, this yeah yeah what is it seven degrees or something so an anterior pelvic tilt is normal mm-hmm. uh so so i don't know maybe there's confusion here even like maybe when people talk about a neutral pelvis they're actually referring to a slight anterior tilt that's not my I impression. Know. I don't think okay. so well they, if they maybe they should be because that's that's what right. normal actually is Unless you're going to say like, oh, people who are have a normal average anterior pelvic tilt are pathological. Exactly. Because 
um, there are multiple research studies that have analyzed uh, asymptomatic people, meaning pain-free people, like healthy people, uh, analyzed their pelvic tilt. And it's found that, and it's something like, um, I have the figures here, it's like 85% of males and 75% of females, pain-free asymptomatic people, their resting posture is an anterior pelvic tilt. That's what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like the no- normal average asymptomatic resting posture is technically what would be considered an anterior pelvic tilt. So, so we're, if we're pathologizing normal. We're pathologizing normal by telling them that their APT is dysfunctional and is going to cause them pain. Because if all mm-hmm. if the majority of people have anterior pelvic tilt and they don't have pain, like you just there's so many people that have that tilt and don't have pain. It's going to cause them pain later. Yeah, exactly, you fortune teller. The biomechanical boogeyman. A hundred percent. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. So it's just another, it's just like variability is really the norm. And you can find people in such a different variety of postures. Some of them may have some pain. Some of them, many of them may not have pain. And you just, we can't make these like black and white conclusions that like this always means this. It's just far more complex than that. So in my opinion, I just don't think we need to be be bringing in language like that in yoga at all. There's so many other things we can focus on, especially things that are positive and empowering and help people feel good about their bodies, which actually we know from research that that um, emotions and psychology and things like confidence in your body, all of that can really feed forward into f- feeling less pain. Yeah. So we can we can strengthen the glutes. That's fine. But then not to try to correct anterior pelvic tilt because that's not something that needs to be corrected. Unless it's like a really extreme scenario, which again would not fall within our scope. A yoga teacher scope of practice. Yeah, Mm. right. Uh, And also, Travis, you mentioned this a little earlier, but I just wanted to reiterate and highlight it again. But you mentioned that uh, it's really common to hear in yoga movement fitness settings, people are being told that their glutes are weak because they have an anterior pelvic tilt. And basically that's like the, the personal trainer or the yoga teacher is just declaring that based on what they see with their eyes. They see an anterior pelvic tilt. But as you so rightly pointed out, when do they ever test glute strength? Aren't they just making an assumption based on this pelvic tilt that they see? But when, when do they actually test whether someone actually has weak glutes? Like, are they actually testing that in a measurable way? Right. They're actually is an okay way to test that, which I haven't even seen broadly used, but uh, something that I've done in my research, um, looking more, we were interested in core stability Mm -hmm. or core neuromuscular control. And so this test kind of does both, but you have someone start in a two-legged glute bridge. So hook lying position, feet are flat on the floor on your back. Bridge your hips up to make a straight line from your shoulders to your knees and then extend one leg. So, so you mean the uh, lift leg? Is that what you mean? Like lift yeah, one foot off Yeah, the sorry. Extend one knee. Oh, reaching. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're in a single leg glute bridge. Arms are up towards the ceiling, so you can't get any support from your, uh, from your hands. And then the test that we do is like, okay, how long can you hold that position? And then, uh, but you have to have your pelvis level. Mm -hmm. So the control Mm -hmm. aspect that we look at is, okay, if as soon as you go to straighten the one leg, lift the foot off the ground, does your hip drop towards the side of the leg lifted? Well, that could be a sign of just a lack of awareness of your body position in space, or it could be external rotation weakness. Right. And you'd have to troubleshoot that with more testing to figure out which one it was. 
So, and you can, we have some normative data that show like how long people, men and women are able to hold that position. It's probably like 20, 15 or 20 seconds is normal. Mm -hmm. So if you're much less than that, or if you're cramping right away, maybe you do have glute weakness, but nobody is testing that. No, like in a yoga setting when they're just saying that. Yeah. In any setting. Yeah. Even in a PT setting, I don't think that they really test that. Test it. They just assume it based on what they see. Yeah. And the the other exercise that you could do would be either a side-lying leg lift uh, Mm -hmm. for repetitions. So that would be looking at the abductors, of course. Like a gluteus medius. Yeah. So I I can't remember what the norms are for that, but there's a certain number of reps that you're supposed to be able to do. But something that we talked about actually with Adam Meekins in the other podcast episode was that uh, just because someone may have a weak muscle doesn't necessarily mean that like that is reason alone to mean that that's what's causing their pain. Like someone may have weak glutes, but that doesn't mean that's why they have back pain or hip pain or knee pain. No, just means that they have weak glutes. Yeah. Yeah. It just means exactly. So they might want to strengthen them if they want stronger glutes, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's why they have pain. Additionally, I think we know from plenty of research and I've got lots of citations for this, but that strengthening and stretching exercises that people uh, that we do, they don't change posture anyway. Right. And they also don't change how we move like kinematics is like the a term for that. They don't change those things anyway. And a lot of kind of um, not outdated p- physical therapy approaches. And then of course the outdated way they're brought into yoga treats the body as though when you stretch, you'll change your posture. Or if you strengthen your glutes, that will pull you out of that anterior pelvic tilt position. Yeah. We know from research that doesn't work. Like, Yeah. And even we've talked about this before, but like, just let's say you do have knee pain and your knee, you're exhibiting knee valgus or a knock knee position. And so mm-hmm. we say, okay, we have to work those hip abductors and hip external rotators. Just because you strengthen those things doesn't mean that it's going to magically carry over. Right. Maybe you certainly you ha- they have to be strong in order to have knee tracking that's not knock knee dropping in. But yeah. yeah, but you have to do some sort of control retraining, which yeah. is not it's not just automatically going to be oh I strengthened this muscle now when I run jump whatever uh, my knee magically tracks in in you know in alignment with my ankle and hip yeah. Exactly. Right. Because um, whether your knee drops in as you run or jump or whatever, that, like you said, you need some baseline level of strength to prevent that. But uh, uh, um, in addition to that, and probably more important, or just bigger picture, it's just, it's more about that's how you move and how you move doesn't just automatically change when you strengthen. Yeah. It's like, uh, if if we were computers, it's like the hardware and the software. So the muscles are the hardware, but then you have to reprogram the software which is like the nervous system and, and your motor patterns and yeah, which is pretty, pretty hard to do. <laughs> right. Cause you ha- totally, it's hard to do. Yeah. So there's just, it's like, um, it's really easy to think of the human body as like, like a puppet or something. Like you just pull these strings where you lengthen a little mm. here and then you strengthen a little here. And then that, that lengthen and that tighten things up. And you're just like, I don't know, like tweaking with like a wrench, like changing people's position that way. And that's just totally not how it works because Travis, what controls our posture? Is it short and tight and long muscles? Is it like muscle length and muscle um, tightness and things like that? Or or is it something else that determines our posture? More of a conscious decision about how to hold oneself. 
Right, which is like based maybe not so much in the in the muscular system, but what system of the body is that rooted in? The nervous system. <laughs> which is so much more complex than than we often tend to realize. It's like we try to think about these problems as though it's just about like the muscles and the tissues. But there's this huge, huge uh, system, the nervous system that's really driving all of it. And when we want to make change, that's I mean, that's where pain, pain is from the nervous system as well. And so if you want to change pain, it's like more about nervous system approaches than like stretching and strengthening. Although stretching and strengthening can have bigger picture effects that do make changes in the nervous system, but it's just not about these specifics, these specific claims. Yeah. So it's, again, uh, focusing on glute strengthening or glute resistance exercise in all those painful conditions is totally 100% appropriate a good thing right and and it can be helpful as part of as one component of um rehabilitation program but it's not it's the explanation that we find problematic in terms of because of this then that right and boiling it all down to the glutes like we know there's another there's a study that i pulled to maybe mention in this conversation but there was this great study i made a youtube video about that we'll also link in the show notes but this um this study looked at women who had a uh, patellofemoral pain, which is pain at the front of their knee. And it was like 52 women. And generally when people have that type of knee pain there, it's often traditionally they're prescribed glute strengthening because it's just some, some of these same beliefs we've already been talking about. That's like the traditional approach is your, the front of your knee hurts. We need to strengthen those glutes. And that's always what's been done. So these researchers were like, well, no one's ever tested what happens if maybe we don't strengthen the glutes for knee pain, but instead we strengthen the opposite muscles, which is, which is like the um, hip flexors and the adductors. The other magic muscles. Yeah, exactly. On the other side of the joint. So instead of strengthening the muscles that do abduction and extension, we strengthen the muscles that do hip flexion and adduction, basically the complete opposite muscles. And so they did this study where they divided the women into two groups. And traditionally, when people are prescribed glute strengthening for like knee pain, that's posterolateral hip group. That's targeting the poster, mm-hmm. posterior and lateral, what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but less traditionally and also not tested before the study was actually treating people with anteromedial hip, hip group, targeting that. So the front and the inside of the hip. So anyway, they basically gave these two um, groups of women that both had the same front of the knee pain, half got posterolateral, half got anteromedial exercises. And in the end, they both, they both performed the same. Like both groups of women had the same decrease in pain. How could that be? Right. And yeah, totally. Because maybe when people do strengthening exercises, maybe it's less about the specific tissue and more about maybe these more bigger picture global things going on that are interacting with the nervous system and not so much about it's like maybe it doesn't matter right like you could strengthen the glutes it's fine but we don't necessarily need to hold the glutes up as more important than maybe all these other muscles we could also strengthen Mm -hmm. like maybe it's a good idea to think about just targeting the hip joint all the way around in a well-rounded way so the back the lateral the front and the inner like all of it maybe that's a good idea and maybe we don't need to pull the glutes out as like this magic muscle um, Travis, I think a last point that we wanted to cover, and maybe we'll just kind of try to cover this quickly, is mm-hmm. the notion that, and this it's super related to what we've been talking about already, but we tend to hear a lot of talk about people having asleep glutes or gluteal amnesia or glutes that are shut off, like things like, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> Would you say that's a pretty widespread belief and claim? Yeah, I for whatever reason I feel like I've heard it less lately, but that's definitely good. I yeah, or maybe I just am tuning it out. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so so you mentioned this before. It's like because we sit, mm-hmm. our glutes In turn chairs. off. Yeah, and then we have to go out of our way to turn the glutes back on and activate them before we do any sort of uh, rigorous exercise or vigorous exercise. And um, that it's fine to warm up, (laughs) which is what activation exercises are. Uh, Just low load, you know, glute bridges, bird dogs, clamshells, body weight squats and lunges or whatever, but it's not turning and and there there are potentiation effects that occur but like yes after warm-up your uh muscles will fire more strongly than they did before but it's not really like oh the glutes were off they were just off there was the 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 light switch was turned off (laughs) they were they were in bed asleep asleep. right in bed because because you couldn't walk you couldn't mm-hmm. move if your glutes were turned off or sleep asleep or you had gluteal amnesia and you just like the, the line of communication between your nervous system, your brain and your glutes. It was just off, off or broken. Yeah. So it's not real. That doesn't right. happen when you sit. It's not something that you have to worry about. Um, also, when discussing people sitting, like, why are the glutes the ones that are the, the one muscle that's like highlighted as, as being negatively affected? I mean, your whole body is sitting. It's a whole body position. Yeah. Your hamstrings are on the chair too, right? Yeah. Your hamstrings are on the chair Nobody too, talks right? talks about that. Your low back's against the back of the chair. Why isn't that right. off? Why isn't that? And, and what's the mechanism for how they turn off just because they're being pressed on? Like, does that, what if you get a full body massage that's being pressed on all, or could you not Everything get off the table off. then? Yeah, you're just oh like, my God. like in, you're just in Shavasana on the table. You can't get up or something. It doesn't, right. like, what's the mechanism for how they would, I don't understand. Uh, I also, my impression is like evidence-based clinicians, like physical therapists who understand like the science behind all of this. Uh, the reason that I think it's kind of frowned upon using this type of language about asleep glutes is it's just, um, it's a potential nocebo that can give people like uh, unhelpful beliefs about their body. It could just make them believe that their body is dysfunctional. Like, oh, my, my glutes are not activated uh, and I'm, they're not firing correctly. And that's a problem. And I'm like dysfunctional. Yeah. And that can create, that can actually create pain when people have these beliefs about their body. Yeah. If you think your glutes don't work and you're like worried about, walking up and down the stairs like oh, i gotta do my uh mini band clamshells before i uh like get out of bed because my <laughs> i need to turn my glutes on because they've been asleep while i've been asleep probably after sitting been... or whatever yeah right yeah um, that can be those beliefs can have ramifications too exactly exactly and and um in addition to these uh, claims that sitting shuts off your glutes i often just hear language around sitting weakens your glutes which you want to be clear muscle strength and weakness is actually a different variable from like muscle activation like activation is is you know just more of that it's a, i know i do understand that muscle activation is actually a really complex topic like there's 
um, neural excitation and muscle excitation and muscle activation. It gets it's more complex than I understand. But I think in this conversation, we can just lump it, lump it up with just muscle activation, meaning like, can your motor neurons actually fire the muscle? Can they activate it? And um, as long as you're up and walking around, then your glutes are firing and activating. But anyway, I'm going on a little tangent. So muscle activation is one conversation, but then muscle weakness and strength, it's that's not the same thing as muscle activation, but people often lump them together. You know, I think they they want to say that um, a muscle doesn't activate and a muscle is weak and like as though those things mean the same thing. But weakness is about force production. And strength is like the flip side of weakness in terms of force production. So claims that when you sit, you weaken your glutes. I can't count the number of times I've heard that. But maybe we could take a step back and just see like, well, when you're sitting, you're not really at, you're not really working any, any of your, you're completely sitting in a chair. So if, I mean, not that I want to be pessimistic or um, nocebic about sitting, but why pull out the glutes? I mean, in sitting, none of your muscles are being strengthened. So you could technically say sitting weakens your whole body not just your glutes. And it only, you know, it doesn't, it's not like you're sitting there just like growing weak, like as long as you maybe strength train or do things, it's fine. But just, I guess it's just another example of how the glutes are a magic muscle. Like why do we picture the glutes as being the one area that, that are quote weakened when we sit, when actually our whole body is participating in the sitting. So why do we talk about the glutes like that? Mm -hmm. I have uh, one of those ergonomic kneeling chairs. Mm. So you're, you're kind of sitting but your, your knees are down too. Like, yeah, yeah. I think I could picture that. Yeah. I, I wonder if my knees are turning off too. <laughs> and your shins, like your tibialis anterior, because yeah. your shins are touching the support, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so hopefully we just kind of wanted to bring this one up because it's, it's very commonly heard out there and it gets wrapped in with all these other narratives about weak glutes, about anterior pelvic tilt and lower cross syndrome and, just this whole emphasis on like the glutes are more important and more special than all the other 600 muscles in the human body. And I, I think that when you actually look at like movement science and the science of the body and the science of pain, maybe we can start to see it's a little bigger picture than that. Yeah. No, it's not to say they're not important and they, uh, from an athletic performance standpoint, there probably is some merit to, doing mm -hmm. targeted glute exercise that's right for strengthening and power and, growth. and stuff like that and yeah if you just have aesthetic goals that's right i'm really glad you mentioned that because I, I knew we wanted to make sure we mentioned yeah there certainly are contexts where focusing on the glutes is helpful and it's not to say that we should never focus on the glutes i think it's just to say that the glutes seem to be pulled out a little too much yeah perhaps yeah maybe they're Outside of an aesthetic goal where, yeah, you have to target that thing if you want that thing to grow. Mm -hmm. But from a full comprehensive performance paradigm, you can focus on the glutes just as much as you can focus on any of the other nooks and crannies of the hips, right? Right. The front, the inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that they are, they are a really voluminous muscle. They're a large muscle. So. Right. <laughs> It, they're they're important, but maybe they're not as important as some people make them out to be. Exactly, exactly. And you're bringing up that um, important realm of like strength and performance and athletics, but then there's like the realm of pain, and then there's you know just the realm of like daily function and living and like sitting in chair. Like there's just all these ways that that the glutes um, 
they just kind of get get pulled out and discussed in ways that is sometimes like in the strength of performance sense it makes it makes sense like report you know target that area just like you might target all these other areas for different reasons but mm-hmm. in other contexts maybe it's it's just um not so helpful and can even be counterproductive to like focus on the glutes like that yeah or at least the narrative behind it exactly that's probably what's most important with maybe a lot of what we discuss here on the podcast right is it's you don't necessarily need to change what you're actually doing, but maybe mm-hmm. how you're mm-hmm. talking about it. Like we talked about in yoga and you asked about how I might cue bridge pose differently, you know, not, not focusing on the glutes so much and telling people how, what they need to do. It's like, it's still bridge pose. Like we could still do the same thing. Everyone can do bridge pose, but maybe what makes a big difference is how we're the narrative we're, we're couching that in, like what we're, what we're bringing people's uh, minds to focus on and what their attention is on in these movements. So you don't have to change what you do, but maybe change the way you talk about it, think about it, present it and teach it. Do you have any other just like last takeaway thoughts about this topic, Travis, for our listeners? I don't think so. We, I think we kind of covered, kind of covered it pretty well, right? We did it. Yeah. Did what we set out to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job covering this topic. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you. I love talking about the glutes. (laughs) Maybe we can think of more things, talk about the glutes and do like another, a part two on the glutes or something at some point. But if someone can explain to us what jamming the SI joint means, then we can do part two. (laughs) Yes. Like what it means, like anatomically. I would, I would love that. We're open to hear. Well, thank you, Travis. Thanks, Jenny. And that wraps up our look at the glutes. Remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my Strength for Yoga program, and the link to that is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you found this discussion to be of value, we would so appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon. Mm-hmm.